0: You're yeah. bringing you're bringing in your selected external yeah. sources to overthrow I bring in the a consistent of
1: research into the ancient Greco-Roman world. And Son, the I was studying
0: the this stuff time. when you were still in diapers. Don't give me your 10-year <laughs> stuff.
1: Okay, listen. Okay, this is the arrogance that you're just known
2: for. No, well. you were the one you're that brought it in the, there, too, Brandon. You're you're you the brought one in your 10 years. you brought in. Okay. Now,
3: this is actually like again, people are going to be commenting on the substance of this debate, and it's all very important. I hope you watch it. And think this through as to the evidence brought to bear on either side and the points actually being made. But think for, this is where my mind sort of branches out. You had a moment there where Brandon, I would say he has a very practiced and intentional sort of reverend tone. In all honesty, James White doesn't have quite as much of that sort of fake practiced air of false humility So yesterday, as of the recording of this episode, Jeff Durbin and James White from Apologia Church actually had, quote-unquote, progressive reverend Brandon Robertson onto their show to debate, quote-unquote, LGBT Christianity. And it is definitely worth talking about, so let's go ahead and get started on that so i've been thinking for a little while as to exactly how i would want to approach a video like this there's obviously going to be all kinds of commentary going around youtube concerning this topic from both sides of this debate i'm obviously if you're familiar with this channel i I come from a very conservative uh traditional christian view on this topic and i obviously side with jeff durbin and james white Uh, i've actually met james white a couple of times very briefly i'm not even sure he remembers me at this point but uh, i think he's a great debater and uh, i've enjoyed the ministry of jeff durbin on various occasions i'm the kind of person who tends to watch debates like this and interactions like this from strongly opposing viewpoints and i can't help but in the back of my mind consider how different audiences are going to respond to something like this now as someone who believes in the power of the gospel and the power of being very straightforward in our teaching and our proclamation of christian truth there's an extent to which we really need to in one sense not care what people think The power of salvation is in the gospel itself, and uh, if we edit it in order to make it more palatable to those who hear it, then we're risking taking away the very power of the gospel itself, and therefore if we win someone over by editing the gospel, we're winning them over to something other than the gospel. But at the same time, I believe that there are ways to communicate the truth in the most loving way possible, in a way that people can truly see that we are being loving, and we're preaching the gospel out of love and not out of something some sort of hatred, just using vocabulary of the gospel as a pretense. And so with those questions and distinctions in mind, how do I think that this debate went? Well, let's jump over to a few clips from the debate so we can just sort of walk through them. And I'll give a few thoughts as to how I think this went. So like right at the beginning of this discussion, there was a pretty clear line drawn where Jeff Durbin sort of handed the mic over to Brandon Robertson and he had him just Lay off the foundational issue right off the start here as to what divides them. So let's watch a little bit of that. Yeah.
1: Well, I know that was in a context of a broader conversation. I'm not exactly sure what particular video you're responding to, but I do think the question of what standard do we define morality uh, by is an important one. And I do think we all probably start at different places. Um, you two uh, presumably believe that the Bible is the inerrant inspired word of God, and that is your objective moral standard. I would say... That perhaps there is an objective moral standard, but I don't know. I don't believe that we can know it objectively. And um, I don't think that the Bible is uh, the inerrant word of God. And therefore, I also don't think all of the morality that we find in the pages of the Bible is uh, worthy of being Followed, um, and so we have
3: two different starting places for where yeah. we base our
1: rally. No, it's from. a good
2: place to start. I'm glad you brought it up just like that. So that, yeah.
3: So there you go. There's, you know, if you're again a conservative, you know, orthodox, traditional, Bible believing Christian, then that line is going to be pretty plain and pretty stark, and maybe you're shocked to hear someone who calls themselves some brand of Christian minister say something that incredibly unorthodox. But uh, that's where. You know, the debate started and this did eventually come back around where it's very clear throughout this debate that Brandon Robertson makes very clear ethical proclamations as to what's right and what's wrong culturally. He basically toes the line on every progressive issue that I can think of again he himself uh is a self-proclaimed homosexual from what I understand he promotes you know every form of progressive sexuality that you can really think of that's in the mainstream right now and uh, I'm pretty sure he supports all kinds of other you know left-wing causes that are very much opposed to a traditional Christian biblical worldview but Jeff Durbin eventually later in the debate does turn around and he says look you're making all of these ethical claims but you've given up this foundational you know source where someone who calls himself a christian would get their moral claims now brandon robertson does try to eventually respond to that and give some ways where he can sort of stand in the middle where we can sort of get a sense of our moral claims just because we have it sort of internally as humans in some way but he in my view doesn't really succeed in giving a compelling reason why his moral claims have any real weight. So let's actually jump forward a bit, and we're going to look at a couple of examples as to how Brandon Robertson actually does handle those specific passages that teach what Christians believe to be the traditional view of sexuality. All right, so here we go. This is where, again, Jeff Durbin hands the mic over. He basically had just laid out Leviticus, uh, some verses from the end of Leviticus 18 into Leviticus 19. And he lets uh, Brandon Robertson take a stab at it.
1: It's very simple. Leviticus 18, verses 1, 2, and 3 talks about, has God speaking and says, these are laws for the people of israel do not do like they do in the land of egypt do not do like they do in the land of canaan so what is happening the list of commands that we have in leviticus 18 are a list of practices that were apparently common in canaan and egypt do a brief study please historically about whether homosexuality and uh homosexual relationships and the way that i'm advocating for them were common in egypt or in canaan and you'll find no they were not so what is and then we look at the context of each of those verses, um, and I think Leviticus eighteen twenty says, as you already quoted at the very beginning of this uh, show, "A man, uh, do not sacrifice your child to Molech, for this is an abomination." The next verse down is, "Do not lie with a man as with a woman, for this is an abomination." Then we go into bestiality. The context is these are practices that are taking place in Canaan and Egypt. We have no evidence that there was widespread consensual homosexual couples, relationships, families. In those cultures, but
3: we do. Okay, so basically, what he is saying here, if you're paying attention, is that he believes that these uh, sort of commands and prohibitions concerning uh, homosexuality and things like that, he's basically saying that these practices that God is prohibiting were things that he was making reference to in those previous civilizations that they would do in relationship to their idolatry. And therefore, what he's talking about with Israel is a prohibition of carrying out these acts in the context of idolatrous practices. Therefore, uh, Brandon Robertson believes that there's this other category that we have in our modern times of these uh, supposedly you know, committed, uh, righteous homosexual relationships, and those are not what the book of Leviticus or New Testament commands are referring to. Well, actually, I think he would take a slightly different perspective on what the New Testament says, but we'll take a little bit of a look at that as well. So, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, and we're going to get a little bit of Dr. James Weiss' response here, where he pushes back a little more firmly on the actual wording of what Romans 1 actually says.
0: Unlike you, we allow the word of God to define those categories. And the word of God specifically says, You shall not have sex with a man as you do a woman. It doesn't give you any oh. little outs, unless, of course, you're like really committed or you're really going to, you know tried to be monogamous even though that's extremely rare and all the rest of that kind of stuff it's not um, extremely
1: rare, first of all you don't know the gay community and second of all this goes back to what jeff critiqued me for last week
3: okay let me pause it there now this is another issue that i sort of want to talk about here that you might begin to see emerge as this debate progresses and i recommend you watch the whole thing i don't want you to get all your information on it from my critique or uh conversation about it here I'll, I'll put the link to the full debate in the description and i definitely recommend you watch it but you're going to begin to see here that there's a a, a subtle uh different sort of debate going on sort of bubbling under the surface here and it's it's again i i, I mentioned at the beginning that there's something i want to talk about here and it's an issue kind of of the unavoidable optics of the situation now brandon sort of threw threw in something really subtle there where james white talked about you know the the consistency of the sinfulness of mankind, how you know, the way that we fall into sin and the way that our fallenness is expressed, it, it doesn't change over the centuries. And to say that we're somehow in a revolutionary new time now where we just never understood where we're at uh, now before. And we have all this new information that Christians suddenly have to process and overthrow all of their ethics and morals and stuff like that. Brandon responds and he just simply says, oh, you, you don't know the gay community, so you don't know what you're talking about. And, and it's it's this sort of subtle, again, it's appeal to what you might call uh, standpoint epistemology is the academic term. But basically, like, look, you know, the, the colloquial way of saying that is you didn't walk a mile in my shoes, so you can't speak to me on this issue. Now, we don't apply this kind of reasoning to any other things that are considered sin, but it, it is a way commonly that once you've entered into this sort of societal oppressor versus oppressed reading of every kind of uh, situation in society, it you can kind of get away with that kind of argumentation. And he's throwing that in here. And then it becomes an issue of, uh, uh, you know, being privileged or oppressed, oppressor or oppressed. And then it becomes an issue of, you know, pride and arrogance rather than the substance of the debate at hand. And at this point in the debate, you're going to see this sort of transition happen where, uh, in my view, you know, Brandon is throwing out these, you know, historical claims of why we should revise our understanding of the text based on a supposed historical background of the time, but you know, he knows perfectly well that James White and many other solid, you know, conservative scholars have done a lot of work on this. They're aware of the historical background. They know that the claims he's making about the supposed historical background that reinterprets the actual text, it's actually bunk. It's its very clear what Paul means, both historically and according to, you know, the text itself. It's, it's true according to the quote, unquote, external evidence and the internal evidence. But he's saying there's this external evidence historically that completely changes our understanding of the text. James White knows that's not true. I think Brandon knows he's quite well informed on this issue, but here's the thing, I think there's people who agree with Brandon about this issue and they're going to watch this and they don't know how well studied someone like James White or Jeff Durbin are on this topic. And so when he says you guys need to do some more historical research on this, it sounds like it's a a solid rebuke and it might make his own followers go, you know, rah, rah and really like what's going on. But it's actually very deceptive. And I think he knows that. And so watch what happens here upcoming in this exchange. Which
1: is uh, on the topic of hermeneutics. You said that I was being deceptive because I said evangelicals don't do the historical cultural. You don't. This is proof of. really. Really. So I'm sitting
0: here reading from the Greek Septuagint. OK, and I'm, I'm looking and I'm looking at, at, and I'm looking at the history. Hebrew and you're saying,
3: OK, now what he just said in the background there was that he spent, you know, 10 years studying this in one hundred thousand dollars in student debt. He said that earlier in the debate. I didn't play the clip, but he just repeated it again there. And what that is, that's an appeal to authority. It's a logical fallacy. He's not actually refuting their claims. He's simply appealing to a, a nebulous Standard of scholarship, and so watch what happens.
0: Looking at, at the historical yes. stuff, you're yes. bringing you're bringing in your selected external no. sources to overthrow the consistent of of
1: research into the ancient Greco-Roman world. and Son, the I was studying
0: the this video. stuff when you were still in diapers. Don't give me your <laughs> ten-year stuff.
1: Okay, listen. Okay, this is the arrogance that you're just known for. No, well. you were the one you're that the, brought
2: it in there, too. Brandon. You the brought in your ten years.
1: You
3: brought in. Okay, now this is actually like again, people are going to be commenting on the substance of this debate. And it's all very important. I hope you watch it and think this through as to the evidence brought to bear on either side and the points actually being made. But think for this is where my mind sort of branches out. And it it, it just you can't help but notice like the way that a debate like this is going to impact. Uh, it, it, there's like three ways you can look at it. There's The audience of Jeff Durbin and James White who support them. There's the audience of Brandon Robertson. And then there's, you know, and there's maybe some people teetering somewhere in the middle. You had a moment there where Brandon Roberts, I would say he has a very practiced and intentional sort of reverend tone that he brings that... Sort of brings sort of an air of humility, which I think is ultimately a very false humility. He puts himself over and above, well, I mean, by definition, if you are a traditional like Bible-believing Christian, you see that he's putting himself above the word of God. That's the most definitionally arrogant thing you can do, right? But just even technically speaking, he is committing the logical fallacy of an appeal to authority. He's saying, I studied this for 10 years and a hundred thousand dollars of, you know, student loan debt, and That is a logical fallacy. It's not a technical refutation of the evidence they brought to bear. James White responded to that with, you know, son, I've been studying this since you were in diapers, right? And technically speaking, is that an appeal to authority as well? I mean, yes, but it's a warranted response because that's exactly what Brandon Robertson did. The thing is, in all honesty, James White doesn't have quite as much of that sort of fake practiced air of false humility. Uh, And, you know, he's admitted I think that he's capable of snark and he's said things to Jeff Durbin when Jeff Durbin has gone off and done debates he's like look I just don't have the patience and sweetness that you're capable of you know sort of putting out there like I've met James White like I said a couple times he's got a snarky sense of humor and if you're not on his side unfortunately that can be wielded as a club and said like he look he he took a swat at him and therefore I don't like James White and therefore his argument's wrong but that's unfortunately that just evades the issue and, and here's something I want to talk about. Like, what is the purpose of these debates? There are people who watch this. They see some snark, maybe slip in something like that. You might not like the tone of someone who's involved. Right. And then you realize, wow, these guys are not going to change the mind of their opponent. Okay. Uh, the sides might get more entrenched. We can debate whether or not James White can mind his tone sometimes to maybe be more optically strategic or something like that. But look, one side is right here and one side is wrong. And like, once you've sort of settled this issue and you look at a debate like this, you might get frustrated when you realize that the two sides might not necessarily convince the other. It's pretty much never happened in this kind of format that one side goes, wow, you changed my mind. I repent of my position. I changed my mind. If you come in expecting that, you're going to be disappointed and frustrated by these debates. The point of these is to clarify the thought process of both and make it clear so that the audience might be convinced one way or the other. And so I think it's important to keep that in mind here. And again, if you're getting frustrated here, where you think maybe James White's tone is off here, you're free to think that you're free to think maybe he can work on sounding kinder, but ultimately you are responsible not to be thrown off by that. You are responsible to look at both sides and ignore their tone to an extent and say, which side actually made an argument here? Like in this context, you know, yes, James White is responding with some snark and saying, look. I've been studying this longer than you have. So stop bringing your appeals to authority. If that's the standard you're bringing, I can do it more than you can. And that's a fact. So James White's, James White's response there was technically warranted. Even if you found it optically a little bit grating, he's right. If you're going to go with that fallacy, I can do it more than you can. You have to actually look at what the substance of the debate is, what the evidence is. And so let's finish up this little clip here and see what gets said.
2: In 10 years of experience. one blaming things, Brandon. Brandon you said i have what 10 I'm years of experience. of experience and spent 100,000 yeah. dollars pastor pastor james was simply responding to that you brought it up and, and you said I, I you you are making an argument from authority i've spent 10 years doing this and 100,000 dollars that's yeah, I don't an buy argument authority. that's an argument from authority you've already rejected god's authority we reject yours and so that's where That's are
1: that's at. And, and the message you're preaching is harming thousands of people. It bears bad food. A so be that a faith. A message that gives life and forgiveness right.
2: and peace to you those who are deceived and they are wrapped up in their own lusts, like yourself. No. Such no. were some of you,
3: no. is what said. Set- and look at the confidence with which he's, no, 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 no. you guys are wrong. No. And, and so yeah, he's able to, again, appeal to those who already agree with him with his confident. Just refusal to agree with them, but has
2: he refuted a word that they've said? He has not. To liars, adulterers, homosexuals, from the New homosexual. Testament That's an basis. Interpretation. Okay, and and well, men who lie with men. Okay, let's use sure. the let's go to the Greek sub the Greek sure. from uh, Leviticus 18. Again, men who lie with men one verse such were some of you literary
1: and cultural concept. Or you, can you can keep using you no, can keep trying to speak. you can
2: keep trying to speak with a silver tongue, Brandon. And it's not going to change okay, the fact that the text me, says what say it so, says. Let me just say something. It
1: doesn't say uh, there it. There
0: is this is how you twist scholarship. What you do no. is you create what you want to find, and then you select your sources, and then this is when you, you come to a plain text that says it's not
3: plain. All right, I'm going to jump forward a little bit here to where James White, again, pushes back on Brandon's interpretation of Romans 1, and he demonstrates sort of the reciprocal nature, apparently, of what is going on between men, and he pushes back on the idea that these were strictly, you know, exploitative, idolatrous relationships. And this is eventually, uh, finally, how Brandon sort of reveals his perspective.
1: I'm sure there are many many ways and I have a new book coming out in 2024 where I do a deep in-depth study of all of these verses and so we could I would love to see your analysis of my approach to these scriptures but what I will say is I don't I do agree that it seems the most likely reading of Romans 1 is that the context of that sexual behavior is related to Greco-Roman idolatry now The other side that I'm also willing to concede is that I do believe Paul has a patriarchal worldview. Paul believes the created order is fundamentally patriarchal. I reject that. I believe that the reason Paul would believe that homosexual sex is sinful is because it's a man emasculating another man. It's threatening the patriarchal ordering of society. I think that's a worldview Paul inherits from his culture. I don't believe that's the divine ordering of the world. I don't All
3: right, so there you go. So that's very clear in his basic, you know, rejection of Paul's worldview as it's expressed while he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit from our perspective. Right. And so he's he's taking a portion of scripture and saying, "I disagree that Paul was inspired in this case." And this is strange because like to me it seems blatantly clear, particularly like in passages like Leviticus that you know, in ancient Judaism, these modern practices that we have today would have been considered sinful, right? And yet Brandon Robertson will take those passages and say, well, that's not what those mean. That's not actually saying that. Therefore, we can actually embrace Leviticus 18 and 19. He would apparently still embrace that as a quote unquote progressive Christian. But with Paul, he's willing to simply say he disagrees with it. I just don't understand Why he doesn't treat something like Leviticus and something like Paul the same. He says, Paul has elements I reject, but Leviticus I'm going to defend and hold on to, but reinterpret. I I don't understand the standard he's using to choose between the two, but it's an interesting thing to observe, basically. And so let's jump forward one more time, and we're going to see where this sort of terminated and how they bid each other farewell. All right, so here he sort of begins to sum things up.
1: I'm sorry that your own theology excludes and marginalizes us so that you'll never get a chance to know us. And I'm sorry that your theology will continue to perpetuate death instead of life, your theology produces death. It doesn't
2: bring life, but that's okay because you don't really have an objective ethical standard anyway so your no claim death. there is and meaningless is, it has but you lost your punch no brandon brandon because your worldview word. is so bankrupt it, it's so bankrupt uh-huh. you make these claims but you don't realize that you've already lost the punch and strength there's no oomph to it there's nothing because you've already given up morality and ultimate basis for morality yeah, not, objective I, I, morality
0: i do have a question i, I we're out out of time i'm I'm sorry okay let me let me let me just ask one quick question you stand before people in a pulpit right yes and you have an open bible in front of you yes how can you stand there and and even get close to saying thus saith the lord or say anything that would have any binding authority, or have any binding authority upon them at all because they can do what you do and simply go you know i just don't see it that way do you think that's I hope good
1: they way? do say they don't see it that way. We're all on this journey of trying to understand truth and live in alignment with Jesus as best as we can. But you've given up truth. Be, I don't believe the jo- job. What the is house. the truth according to Jesus?
2: I, well, We'll end with this because I know you're over time. We want to show you respect. Well, according to Jesus, what is the truth?
1: There is, that's such an ambiguous question. No, well, he, he does
2: me. actual verse that says it. you're a reverend. So uh, no, John no. 17, 17, thy please word please. is truth. God's revelation is the truth, not your mind, Brandon, not your lusts. we'll We'll let you go and call you to repentance because you do need to repent, my friend. Please repent of your false gospel. Okay. All right. Thanks, Brandon. Thank you. Peace. All right.
3: Well, there you go. So there you go. It's sort of a sad state of affairs. And, you know, it's an unfortunate reality that, you know, I think a lot of people are going to watch this debate who agree with Brandon Robertson. And because he does sort of have a polished, more or less presentation and distillation of all of his own scholarship that he uses to present his view of scripture, a lot of them are going to come away thinking he somehow landed some punches here. And apart from the Holy Spirit, people on Brandon Robertson's side are probably going to simply double down on what they think. And of course, those who are already on Jeff Durbin's side and James White's side, like me, uh, we're not going to be convinced by arguments that Brandon Robertson made. I think that it's pretty clear uh, if you can look at the evidence brought to bear here, it's pretty clear what the Bible says. It's To me, it seems much more logically consistent simply to reject the Bible and not have this sort of quasi view of inspiration where you glean some truths from it but reject others. I mean, it really doesn't make sense to me because it seems pretty clear at that point that you are your own authority because you become the filter of what scriptures you're going to embrace and what you're going to reject. I do hope that there were people who approached this debate and maybe were unfamiliar with the material and that did benefit from it. But ultimately, it really is going to be the power of the Holy Spirit that changes hearts and minds and brings people to a faith in the gospel. And ultimately, we do need to remember that it is not our job to edit the gospel. It is not our job to make things more palatable. It's the Holy Spirit's job to open hearts and minds. And it's our job to speak the truth in love as best we can. And so there you have it. There's my thoughts. Make sure that you comment below your thoughts and uh, make sure that you go ahead and leave a like if you enjoyed the video. Make sure you subscribe, hit the notification bell if you want to watch future videos. And if you've discovered the podcast in audio form, make sure that you go ahead and follow wherever you are. My name is Eric. This is Grace Nerd, and I hope to see you around in the next one.